Well, good morning, friends. Hope you are safe. Hope you're well, healthy. As you can tell, this is a little bit of a different setting for us than my basement. I am now at, I'm currently at Forward Church. This is being pre-recorded. Forward in uh, Cambridge has been generous with their technology and some of their people in order for other churches to be able to record for Sunday. So you can't see him right now, but Ben is helping us out, helping make this happen, and he's actually a Guelphite. He's a good man. Just met him. Uh, So we're grateful to Forward for letting us do this. Before we jump in this morning to our passage, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. I just want to give you a quick pastoral exhortation, if you will. Uh, Churches all over the world right now are figuring out how to be the church in light of this new circumstance and trying to plan as though this may continue on for the next little while. We just, we don't know. And one of the things that can sometimes happen when we aren't gathering together is uh, that giving is forgotten about or doesn't happen for a whole variety of different reasons. And I just want to encourage you to continue to give to Church of the City, or if you're watching this and you're part of another church community, to whatever church that may be. Uh, Ministry is still continuing. I was just saying to someone today that uh, in some ways the needs for ministry are even greater. They're just happening in different ways. Now, I want you to hear from me. I know, I know that for some of you, your finances have been turned completely upside down by this whole situation. And so for you, giving sacrificially is going to look very different than maybe it did a few weeks ago. But my encouragement would be to continue to give. Give sacrificially, give faithfully. That's what Jesus asks us to do. And so we want to respond in obedience. We want to respond in faith. We always say that we believe that everything we own, everything that we have is a gift from God. And so we want to give back out of gratefulness to him. And so whatever that looks like for you, we, I would invite you to continue to do that. And you can do that digitally. The best way to get information on that if you don't already give digitally is to go to guelph.churchofthecity.ca slash giving. And that'll give you all the different ways that you can be giving and uh, how to reach out if you need to, to change. If you're under pre-authorized giving and your circumstance has changed dramatically, reach out to us and we can make adjustments. You can do that through, that through the website I just listed or by reaching out at info at churchofthecity.ca. So that's my encouragement to you this morning. Now, if you do have a Bible and you're open to John chapter 4, Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, You're going to be hearing my voice some more this morning, um, but why don't you pause this? It's being pre-recorded. It's a video. It's not live. So pause it, and you or someone that you're with, read this passage aloud. You're going to read John chapter 4, verses 1 to 45. Read it aloud, and then, as we always do, I would invite you to pause. I fully expect that there are not less things for us to check in on, less emotions that we're feeling, less things to bring uh, to Jesus, to invite the Holy Spirit into. So have someone read this passage, stop, pause, see how you're feeling, and then when you're ready, press play and we'll continue on. Okay, welcome back. Something that 
many of you may not know about me is that I love to fish. And I did a lot of fishing when I was in university. I went to school in rural New York State, and there was a river pretty close to campus that I used to hike out to, and I'd take an afternoon and sort of walk up and down the river and just fish and enjoy myself. One day I was doing that, and I went further than I realized uh, into a new section of river, and it got darker quicker than I anticipated. And before I realized it, I was almost in pitch black in an unfamiliar part of the river there. And so I needed to get myself back to campus somehow. And so I eventually found this stream that I thought, I think if I hike upstream here through this stream, instead of going through the brush, I actually went through the water, I think I'll get back to the road. But quickly, I just got completely turned around and lost. And it was dark, and I had a little bit of anxiety creeping in in that moment. And I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that, but you start to roll through in your mind, like, what am I most sure of? You know, am I sure of sort of my ability to retrace my steps? Am I sure of sort of the, my vague sense of direction that, you know, I need to be going this way? Am I sure that this path or road or whatever it is I'm on is going to eventually lead me back where I need to go? You, you just ask, like, what am I most certain of? I'm pretty uncertain of a lot of things. What can I be most certain of? What can I be most uh, uh, trusting in in this moment? And this morning, as we look into this passage in the book of John, we're going to encounter a woman who, frankly, much of her life is, seems to be characterized by that search. What can I be certain of? What can I put my trust in? And in the conversation that Jesus has with this woman, he offers her some certainty, some things that she can place her trust in. And I think that, that same, uh, those same words can speak to us this morning, and I trust that they will. So let's jump into our passage. John gives us some context that Jesus has moved out of Judea and is starting to head towards Galilee. And he says in verse 5, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. And he tells us some things about Jesus' state, right? He tells us that he's weary from this journey and uh, he's, he's thirsty. It's so important for us to remember, friends, that Jesus, in the midst of doing these miracles of turning water into wine and all the other things that John writes about in his gospel, John wants us to be clear, as all the other gospel writers do, that Jesus is fully human. He's fully God, but he is also fully man. And so he experiences things that we do. In this case, being tired and thirsty. And so he asks someone for a drink. And who does he ask? We meet her in verse 7. She's a woman from this small town in Samaria who's come to this well to draw water. And it's easy for us to miss some of the, the context, some of the uniqueness of this uh, in our day, but some of the reasons that this is a bit strange. Well, first of all, to travel alone in that day, especially as a woman, uh, was, was not considered the safest thing to do. And to travel in the middle of the day, John tells us that it was about the sixth hour, which was around noon, uh, to travel then and, and go and gather water, it would have been hot and exhausting. Like, in some ways, that was the worst time to go. What typically would have happened was the women from these towns would have typically gone out uh, in groups in the morning and in the evening to gather water. Those were the cooler parts of the day, and they were together. They were safer because they were in a group. And so, you know, all joking aside, this woman is under a form of self-imposed social distancing. In this case, not because of uh, a virus, 
but because of circumstances in her life, which we're going to learn more about as we journey on through this passage. Jesus, however, we see, isn't afraid of coming close to this woman. He asks her for a drink. And we find out right away from her response that she is a straight shooter. She is a get-to-the-point kind of person. Look what she says in verse 9. The woman said to him, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John gives us the context of why that question makes sense. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. He says it pretty plainly. So this woman is giving the reasons that this shouldn't be happening, right? She's a woman. Jesus is a man. She is a Samaritan. He is a Jew. And the unspoken reason, of course, which likely she and Jesus are both very aware of. You know, you can tell that I want to be here alone. Why do you think I came when I did? By myself. Can you just respect that? But look what Jesus, look at how he responds in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What's Jesus saying here? This is one of those classic moments where we see Jesus making a statement that on the one hand could be understood on purely a physical plane, in purely physical terms. And we often see people hearing, listening to Jesus, getting completely lost and confused on that purely physical side of things. Or what Jesus is saying can be interpreted in light of deeper spiritual truth. An example this feels like years ago, but just a few weeks ago, Matt talked to us from, uh, we looked at John chapter 3 together, and Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus, and he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus gets completely lost in the physical, bizarre implications of what Jesus is saying. You know, how, how can a man be born again when he's old? How on earth could you enter back into your mother's womb? It's, it's bizarre, and he gets lost and confused, not realizing that Jesus is conveying a deeper spiritual truth, and that's what's happening here as well. See, living water in that culture was a phrase that was used to refer to fresh, fresh spring water, fresh flowing water. Water was and still is an incredibly precious resource, in that part of the world. It's scarce. It's not, you know, not the situation that we have here in Canada with the Great Lakes down the road, the largest source of fresh water. It was a, it's a very different place in that part of the world. And she is thinking in those terms, but Jesus actually is talking about a deeper truth, drawing together multiple rich Old Testament metaphors. He's talking about Jeremiah in the Old Testament, who lamented the people turning away from God, who he calls the fountain of living waters. And he laments them digging out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He's talking about Ezekiel, who prophesies a day that would come where water would flow out of the temple and it would grow and expand and become a river. And wherever that river went, everything would live, Ezekiel said. And actually, John tells us later in his gospel that the living water that Jesus gives is the Holy Spirit who gives us new life when he comes into our lives. And so Jesus is speaking to this woman 
a deep spiritual truth that he is the source of spiritual life and that all she needs to do is ask. Anyone who comes to Jesus looking for spiritual life will receive it through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, friends, this is certainty number one, sure thing number one that this woman can place her trust in and we can as well. And that is that we cannot and need not earn anything from Jesus. We need only ask. See, Jesus in this moment is talking about salvation. But remember, salvation is not just a one-time event. It is a daily renewal, a daily passing from death to life. Growing in the new life that the Spirit brings, the fruit that he bears in us, and dying to our old selves. And so, friends, maybe this present moment, this crisis that we are in is surfacing areas in your life that need living water, that need the life that the Spirit brings, areas of unbelief, areas of sin or brokenness. Ask the Spirit to bring life to those parts of you today. We don't need to sort ourselves out in the midst of this crisis before we can go to God. We don't need to get ourselves in whatever we perceive to be the right mindset before he's going to hear us. Jesus made this offer of living water to this woman before she had done anything. It was a free gift of grace. But in verse 11, we see this woman, as Nicodemus did, thinking purely in physical terms. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Just thinking about the physical reality of what Jesus said, not realizing what Jesus is really trying to communicate. Jesus said to her, this is verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Certainty number two, sure thing number two, a relationship with Jesus is the only source of life that will never run out, never fade, never fail. I'll say it again. A relationship with Jesus is the only source of life that will never run out, never fade, never fail. See, this woman sort of balks at the boldness of Jesus' claim. In verse 12, we see her, you know, sort of looking at the well and looking at Jesus and saying, are you really better than this well? Will you last longer than this well? See, for this woman and, and for this whole area, likely, this well was a point of pride, a part of, theirs, a part of their community's religious and social identity, something that one of the patriarchs had dug generations ago and that had been providing water ever since. And Jesus responds, yeah, I'm better than this well. I last longer. The water that I give is eternal. I, it will last forever and never run out. Friends, one of the hardest things about times like this that we are in is that the things in our world that we thought were pretty sure we're pretty strong, that we'd always be able to count on, suddenly aren't sure things, at least in the way that we thought they were. Back in, in 2008, people suddenly questioned 
banks, the whole banking system, something that plenty of people had never had any cause to question. You know, my, my money's safe, looked after, my investments are, are going to grow, maybe not in the short term, but in the long term. And all of a sudden, all of these things are called into question. And today, uh, we're experiencing a little bit of that as well, aren't we? Um, today, it's our healthcare system. We recognize, you know, perhaps there have been moments in the past where, you know, after a long emergency room wait, you grumbled a little bit. But I think on the whole, we've always felt like we had a strong healthcare system. We've always been uh, grateful that it's free. Uh, but now, in other parts of the world, developed parts of the world, we see that what we thought were strong healthcare systems are, are vulnerable. That's why we're doing all this work to, to flatten the curve. We've all heard that phrase at this point. Something that we thought was maybe a sure thing is, is vulnerable, isn't maybe as, as sure of a thing as we thought. And Jesus impresses upon this woman that the only sure thing in life is him. But then he actually pushes this even further. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Conversation gets a little awkward here, doesn't it? Jesus is going after all the sacred cows, if you will, in this woman's life through this conversation. He first has, has just talked about, you know, the reality that the things in her culture and society that maybe her and the other people in the area had always been able to count on, they aren't really permanent. But then he also goes after those things in the deep parts of her heart. It gets very personal and says those things aren't, aren't bulletproof either. And this woman likely knows that all too well right? She's had marriages that have failed, and she's now in this common law situation. And we sense her absolute desperation to find a relationship that will last. And we're the same, aren't we, friends? There are those things we just talked about, whether it's our banks or our healthcare system, these institutions in our world that we want to put our trust in. But then we also each have those things that we carry in the deepest corners of our hearts, the things that we put our trust in as individuals. If I can be perfectly honest with you in this moment, I think many pastors around the world right now are struggling with what's going on because for many of us, doing the work of ministry was something that we always put our trust in. Probably far too much trust at times. Many of us don't want to admit that, but, you know, we even subconsciously have thought, you know, well, whatever happens, I can always, you know, visit the sick. You know, I can always be there on a, on a Sunday morning, be a calming presence, you know, offer a, a warm handshake or, you know, a hug. We're helpful. Like, I, I, can, I can do those things. I can, I can be that, that person for people. We've put our trust in that. And uh, all of a sudden, we can't do those things, at least not in the way that we've always done them. And so our trust is, is, is shaken a little bit. For you, it's likely something else. 
And Jesus wants us all to know that he is the only well that will never run dry. Let's continue on. Look at verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So this is, we might get lost here in what this woman is saying. We sense, though, probably you can sense that she's trying to deflect from this vulnerable place that the conversation has just gone. But on a deeper level, she seems to perceive that there's something unique and remarkable about Jesus. But he is still a Jewish man, and she is still a Samaritan woman, and she's not going to trust him so easily. So she wants to know where things stand, right? See, we know she's been burned before, and we get the sense that she's being a bit protective here. I want to know right now if you're eventually going to reject me like everyone else has. So she goes right for the most contentious issue, one of the most contentious issues, dividing Jews and Samaritans. Maybe you've met someone like that before who, who has been burned in relationships in the past, and so when you start to get close, they like go right for the thing that they think might, might you know, send you packing. And that's what she does here. It was this ancient conflict about disagreement, a disagreement about where God actually instructed people to worship him from. The Jews thought it was Jerusalem. The Samaritans thought Mount Gerizim. And she says, you know, she kind of brings up this, this conflict. And Jesus, by his answer, wants to show the woman that her question, the whole question, is quickly becoming irrelevant. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Certainty number three, friends, is that through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus was doing away with geographic boundaries and cultural barriers to who could worship God. Say that again. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus was doing away with geographic boundaries and cultural barriers to who could worship God. And it would now be, true worship would now be in spirit and in truth. Look at verse 23. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What does Jesus mean when he says this? Well, in spirit. This is a, a, a two-part reality. It's about our spirits, our inward being, our inward reality. Remember the, the instruction to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So true worship was no longer simply going to be characterized by the things that you went out and did. It mattered the posture of your heart towards God. In what sort of state was your spirit in? And the other side of that coin, worshiping in spirit, is that it's, it's, our worship is, is empowered by God's spirit dwelling in us. The Holy Spirit bringing life to us. What does it mean to worship in, in truth? Well, Jesus, friends, is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And actually, John the Baptist in our passage last week said, whoever receives his testimony, that is the testimony of Jesus, sets his seal to this, that God is true. So worshiping in truth means believing that in Jesus, we see what God is truly like. We see all the promises of God coming true in Jesus. True worship will happen in spirit and in truth. So Jesus is revealing 
a beautiful reality to this woman that going forward, anyone would have access to, anyone could have access to God the Father through the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus, regardless of who they were or where they came from. And this is a precious reminder to us, friends, when all of our usual practices and rhythms seem to have just been thrown out the window. And it can feel disorienting. I don't know about you, but that's probably a good word to put to the way I've been feeling in the last couple weeks, just disoriented. And it is so important and I hope refreshing for us to remember that, you know, though we believe gathering together on a Sunday or around tables in missional communities, that those are important expressions of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be the family of God. Those are not the means by which we gain access to God. Do you hear what I'm saying? Those things are important, and as soon as we are able, we will be doing them again. Gathering together physically on a Sunday, meeting around tables for meals together, but those are not the things by which we gain access to God. That is through the Spirit, by faith in Jesus. And that is the same for me here at Forward Church in Cambridge, for you at home, you know, sitting at your kitchen table with your family, or someone in South Korea in, in a hospital room. Like, those are the same, that's the same across the world. Praise God. And so suddenly in our passage, the disciples are back. It's funny how they just, you know, sometimes we see some, some comedy, right? This beautiful conversation that's going on, and then the 12 are just back. And they offer Jesus some food. We, we discovered earlier that they went into town to get food. And he responds, you know, I'm good. I, I'm, I'm actually all right. And then the disciples are confused. You know, has Jesus been holding out on us? Did he have a lunch pack this entire time? So look how Jesus responds, verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Certainty number four and our final one for this morning, friends. The final uh, uh, element, the final truth that Jesus says we can put our trust in is that until the trumpet sounds and Jesus returns, God will be inviting us to join him in his mission. There are no seasons off. Let me say that again. Until we hear that trumpet sound and we see Jesus returning, that day that we all long for, Till that day, God will be inviting us to join him in his mission. There are no seasons off. See, scholars think their best guess is that when Jesus says, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest, he's referencing a, a, a bit of a proverb that would have been said in that day. Similar to when we say today, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. This recognition, hey, like things take time. You know, we've got time. It's okay. Jesus says, no, actually, the fields are ripe today. And going forward, sowing and reaping will happen all together. And sure enough, we see this happen. This woman that Jesus has been speaking to receives this water, this living water that Jesus offers, and then she immediately goes into town, inviting the very people who had ostracized her to come and have their own encounter with Jesus. So friends, 
My encouragement to you is to hold on to this truth right now. You know, if ever we'd be tempted to think of a season or a time as winter, it's probably now. Locked up in our homes, you know, distant from each other, distant from our neighbors. You know, we, in some ways we might feel like those, the residents of Narnia, always winter but never Christmas, you know, looking ahead and wondering how long is this going to go on? But I want to give you uh, the words of another character in that story, the Chronicles of Narnia. This is Mr. Beaver. They say Aslan is on the move. Jesus is up to something even now, friends. The harvest is ripe. People are looking for water. And will we allow the gospel to be in us a spring welling up and spilling over to eternal life as that woman did? So these are, this is the certainty that Jesus offers us, friends. We cannot and need not earn anything from him. We need only ask. A relationship with him is the only source of life that will never run out, never fade, never fail. Our social and, and cultural institutions might fail. The things that we hold deep in our hearts that we put our trust in, those things may let us down. Jesus never will. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus did away with geographic boundaries and cultural barriers to who could worship God. It's now in spirit and in truth and praise God because we can worship together even at a distance, even when we aren't able to be physically together. And finally, until Jesus returns, God will be inviting us to join him in his mission. The fields are ripe. Friends, I love you. I hope that you are feeling the grace of God in this season and also the call of God to be faithful, to respond as, as people are looking for water. I love you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this beautiful uh, interaction that we get to see here in this gospel where you offered a woman who was, seemed to be deeply uncertain about many things. Uh, you offered her things that she could put her trust in, she, things that she could count on. And Jesus, I pray that that would speak to our hearts today as well, that in the midst of so much uncertainty, that we would know that you are a sure foundation, that you are a well that will never run dry. The life that you offer us that is a guarantee, and would we find hope in that today? And would that hope spill out of us into the lives of those around us? Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, we'll see you soon.